Uh, if you are using one of the Bibles under your seat, uh, you will find it on page 653. So Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're hanging out tonight, and you will find uh, that, pa- uh, that on page uh, 653. I have a question for you tonight that I want you to consider, and that is this. Uh, do you mean what you say? Do you mean what you say? Do you often say you will do something and then just you don't do it? You don't follow through? Or how do you feel about someone who says they will do something and then they don't follow through with it? Well, why is it that so often we don't follow through on our word? Why does our word not mean as much to us? as I'm told it used to. I wasn't alive back then, but I'm told you used to be able to sell like a car or a house or a piece of land and just kind of shake on it or something like that. Have you ever heard of that? That could be a complete myth. I have no idea, but you just, hey, I promise you, I'll I'll follow through, right? Your word, I'm told, uh, seemed to really matter a lot more than it does today. Why is it that we say one thing and then we we don't follow through, sometimes knowing right in the moment that we're even saying it that we're not going to follow through? Have you ever done that? You're saying, oh, yeah, I'll be there, and right away you're like, I'm not going to be there. I I know I won't be there. I I don't know why. Maybe it's because we want to control how other people feel about us. Maybe we are afraid that they're going to be disappointed in us. Or maybe we say yes so that they won't get mad or even though we don't really want to do whatever it is that they're saying, will you do this? And we're saying, yes, I will do that. Or do you intend to follow through but then just the day happens, the day comes and something pops up that just seems more enjoyable or more fun or more casual or comfortable for you to actually be a part of and so you decide to go and do that thing. See, there, there could be more and more reasons why we could also say that our word and the word of others isn't something we tend to, to really trust as much. We don't really rely on each other's word as much as, as maybe we should. And the reason for that is maybe we've just been burnt too many times by what other people have promised us. And so what I fear our temptation is, okay, this, is the, this is the more serious temptation, because of this, it's not just that we will bring this sort of insecurity and this lack of trust into our relationships with each other, but that we will tend to apply this same insecurity and this same fear to the words of God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, there are so many promises that God has made to you in scripture that I think we are meant to cling to with with white knuckles, so to speak, knowing that he will come through on his promises that he's made to us. There are words that God has spoken to us as his followers that are meant to, I think, shape our hopes and our dreams and really contribute peace to our hearts. And so it's, it's for this very reason that I've wanted to, uh, for us as a faith family to walk through some of these incredible promises that God has made to us in Scripture for the remainder of our summer together. Like Victoria said, we have about six weeks left in this facility before we move downtown and to a different time. And, and I know as a church, uh, we're in a, a significant stage of transition with people coming and going and different things happening. And we'll be talking more about that kind of stuff. 
And so I think it's more fitting than ever, if not every single Sunday, which is what we strive for, to really look to God's word and especially the promises he makes to us and realize that it's always his word that is our foundation. It's his word that we stand on. It's his word that is, is unchanging and is with us throughout every sort of transition when life seems to be a bit unstable to us. And so it's my hope that we would walk through these and seek to be shaped by these promises. And so our promise tonight comes to us from Hebrews chapter 13. And if you will, I'm gonna read uh, this for us. It starts in verse five of chapter 13. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he, referring to God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Tonight we see an incredible promise that God makes to us. It's the promise of his presence. Isn't that amazing? Because what God is promising to us is not something other than himself. He is literally promising you himself. And I want us to see that this promise is so practically important to our lives because I think when we live into it, our passage says it makes us very content, it makes us confident, and it makes us a fearless people. And so our passage is so easily broken down, if if you're taking notes, if that's your thing, um, there's into these sort of three points or three movements, we see this command in verse five, And at the end of verse five, we see this promise. And then verse six states for us a confident future that we will have. So first, a a command. Look with me again in verse five. What does it say? It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Covetousness or or coveting is something that, let's just be real, it's, it's pretty natural to us as Americans, so much so that I don't really think that we think it's, it's that big of a deal very often, just to covet, to want more, to want what somebody else has. But, but think about it, the person who covets is someone who pursues their own selfish aims, whether it is some sort of sexual pursuit, which you see in the verse right before this verse, or in this verse specifically, it's a financial one, it's a financial sort of coveting. It's, it's, a, it's a place where you want something and you pursue something and you do it without regard to another person and a lot of times you will pursue that thing at the expense of others. So the author of, of Hebrews here is warning us against the love of money and he's urging us towards contentment in life with what we have, with what God has already given to us. So, so think about it. Think about this. If you are after something, or if you have a love of money, the, the desire for more, a coveting heart, that immediately communicates that you are discontent. You are discontent because logically, contentedness means you feel as if you don't need more than what you already have. That's what contentedness means. And I think if there's one thing, although there's many things that would mark us as Americans, if you're an American, 
It is our discontentedness. Discontentedness. It's our desire for more. It's our desire for something better. Or maybe not even something better. It's just a desire for something that's different because we're so bored with whatever it is that we have. Well, why is this such a problem for us? If you would agree with me, why, why is this such a problem? Let me, let me put it to you this way. Okay. What if I walked up to you tonight and I just gave you $100,000? We'd, we'd be pretty good friends all of a sudden, wouldn't we? Right? Let's just say I'd even give you an errand. I'd even write a check. I put it in cash. You don't even have to go to the bank. Right? It's in cash. I even have a fancy briefcase. I just slip it to you. It has like the, the paper, uh, rubber bands. I'll put rubber bands around the money. Right? I give that to you. You open it up in the briefcase. You're like, this is this stolen? And no, no, this is legitimate. $100,000. It's not unethical or anything. You can, you can have this. Okay? Let's just say that happened tonight. It'd be pretty great, right? How, how would that make you feel? How would that make you feel? You say, well, that's a, that's a really stupid question, right? What do you mean, how would that make me feel? No, but think about it, like, how would that really make you feel? Do you ever watch, like, the game shows and stuff where people are, you know, they have a chance to make a lot of money? There's, like, a new one called The Wall or something, right? People, you know, these balls drop, and they have a chance to make $100,000 easily, if not way more than that. And, and in these game shows, they always ask people, like, if you could get this kind of money, like, what would that mean to you? And people say all sorts of different things, Right? But every single time, they're not like, well, I would hate that. No, they say, no, that would be amazing, right? This, is, this would change my life to some extent. Well, how would this make you feel? Why would money matter so much? Well, at the most foundational level, you would say, I'd be very happy, right? You would be very happy, correct? But why would you be happy? Again, that might seem like a weird question, but really, why would you be happy? Why would that give you such a good feeling if I gave you that money tonight? I want you to imagine that, really. Why would that be such a good feeling for you? I suggest to you that would be such an amazing feeling that would make you so happy because it would cause you to feel secure. It would cause you to feel more secure. Maybe you have uh, some mortgage and you're like, I could just pay off my mortgage or I could pay off my school debt or this car or contribute to some college fund or something. Or maybe it's just throwing it in savings knowing, man, I got this, this savings now for a rainy day. And if you had $100,000, that's quite a rainy day. You could take a lot of rainy days on with that kind of money, right? That would, that would contribute to you a sense of relief, a sense of security, and what's interesting to think about is this book that we're talking about, the book of Hebrews, it's written to a group of Christians who had suffered already. They had been persecuted for their faith for actually following Jesus in their life. And now it's come to a point where they're about to experience even more persecution, and many of them already are experiencing even more persecution. And the very first time they went through that persecution, they had done well. They stayed faithful to Jesus, but now the author of Hebrews fears that they might turn away from Christ in order to avoid further persecution. So he is fearing that the things that the world is offering to these followers of Jesus, things like money and possessions, things that might cause them to feel more secure or more influential in society, will cause them to turn away from their faithfulness to Christ because that will be something that will cause them to feel more secure. But it's, it's really important to realize something. This command, 
This command is being presented to these people, and it's being presented to you and I tonight, not as just some sort of like empty command, okay? What I mean by that is this. You remember being a child, and you did something, and your parents said, don't do that. And you, being a normal kid, said, why? Why should I not do that? And your parents said, what? Because I told you so. And as a kid, you're like, well, I, I, I should obey because they are my parents, right? You should just obey your parents. They don't always have to give you the greatest explanation, but we all experience those types of things. That's, that's an empty sort of command, right? You still need to obey them because they're your parents, but it's an empty command. But that's not what's happening here in this book of Hebrews. God isn't just saying to you and I tonight, hey, be content with what you have, And if you were to ask God, well, why? He's not saying, well, because I told you so. Leaving us with this some sort of like empty command where we think, well, I guess I should just try to be content because it's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, God told me I need to be content. No, there's a reason. There's a reason why we are commanded to be content. There is fuel and motivation and power for this, and it's all wrapped up in a promise that he makes to us at the end of verse 5. He says, be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, ever. You don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, really, honestly, how many of you guys dropped the word forsake this week in like a natural conversation? You're just like sharing a meal with someone, you were like forsake or whatever. I doubt no one's hand would go up, right? That's not really a word we, we use very often. So if you're anything like me, I'm like, what does that really mean? It simply means to abandon, to abandon. God is saying, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And what's interesting is this promise is most prominently at first rooted in Scripture in a story the beginning of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, and if you're not familiar with the Bible and the story of Scripture, God claimed for himself these people, Israel, and they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And God raised up a prophet, Moses, to lead them out of that slavery, and he redeemed them. He freed them, his own people. And he had promised that he was going to lead them into a promised land. People who never had land except to work other people's land, he was gonna give them their own land. But something happened along the way. This leader that that God had, had led his people out of this slavery with had died. And so now this this leader, Moses, his right-hand man, Joshua, was being placed into leadership. And could you just imagine the task that's before you for that? Being a person like Joshua, now Joshua's being placed into this leadership to lead God's people into a land, and they never even had a land. They have to go up against other nations and armies in order to obtain this sort of land. So I want to read for you just the context of where this is being birthed out of just for a second. I don't even have this on the screen. Consider this story time. Pick up your cup of coffee just for a second. I want to read this to you. Just a few verses here in Joshua 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant. The Lord spoke to Joshua, who was the son of Nun. He was Moses' assistant. And God said, Moses, my servant is dead. 
Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you, Joshua, what I promised Moses. Whoever you, wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north to the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one, Joshua, will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I, God, will not fail you or abandon you, Joshua. So be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from those things, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God, he is with you wherever you go. I know this is like an ancient story. For some of you, maybe you've never heard it. For some of you, you've heard it way too many times and you've seen it on like Christian bookstore mugs and stuff all, all over the place. But I really want you to try to imagine, this is a real story. I want you to try to imagine being Joshua. I mean, Moses had abandoned him. Not because he was like a bad friend or something, but he had died. He was, he was gone. And now the pressure of leadership is on Joshua. And if you've ever led anything, you know the pressure of leadership is often very lonely. Joshua is most likely, I'm guessing, feeling the weightiness of this task. And he's putting probably a lot of stock into his own ability than just relying on something or someone else. Moses had left him. He was abandoned. Let me ask you, have you ever been left? Have you ever been abandoned? Has anyone ever done that to you? That's an, that's an awful feeling, isn't it? For, for many of us, it's, it's one of our greatest fears of, of being alone, being left alone, of everyone leaving us. This, this fear is wrapped up in, in this dread over the thought of ever winding up alone in life. And it is experienced so often in how we often compromise our values. We do this a lot. We, we will compromise our values in order to gain new friends. We'll often compromise our values in order to keep friends by our side. We're, we're that terrified of it. It is experienced in how we get anxious or overcome with worry at our own kids' safety and health. Or our, our spouse's safety and our spouse's health or our parents' health, or our friends' health. People, even things, are, are a great comfort and security blanket to us that the thought of losing them or those things leaving us or abandoning us really affect us emotionally. Let me, let me just be real to you. I'm not going to lie to you, okay? I got back from sabbatical on Wednesday, okay? 
Wednesday was hard. I walk into the office, and for the first time in my life, Stephen is not there to catch me up in his great storytelling of everything that's happened. It was hard. He, he left me a, a really amazing letter as he and Lisa were going to send them out tonight. They're, they're moving on as God is calling them elsewhere. It was a hard day. It was an emotional day because somebody who has been with me in ministry my entire, the entire existence of this church is moving on, and that feeling uh, of him leaving emotionally is difficult. I even think of, 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 of other people in this church, like Jesse and Kimber, who will spend last, next Sunday, the last Sunday with us. They've been with us from the beginning. Or I, I was thinking of Brent and Hannah, who we celebrated their wedding yesterday. Or Ryan and Christina, who had a wedding two weeks ago, and they left this morning, I believe, for Florida. I don't know why you go to Florida, but they went to Florida, okay? And I know there, there's many, many more of you who, who, who I know I love deeply, and, and the emotions of, of feeling those people move on and leave, it's, it's really difficult. And they're not abandoning us because they're bad friends or something, but it's hard. It's painful. And it can often, as I battled a lot this week, it can leave you feeling a lack of security. There's a lack of confidence that you might experience when people move on or when a boyfriend breaks up with you or a girlfriend breaks up with you or someone passes away. But see, this is a great promise because God says we can learn to be content and not find our contentedness in possessions or really anything but we can find it securely in him because he promises us his presence. His presence. God says, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Think about that. That, that is a, a promise. Okay, but there's a big problem here. And I don't know what's going on in your mind right now. But there's a big problem here, because if I were a betting man, and I'm not, okay, but if I were, I, when I said that, I would bet that intellectually in your mind, you thought, that sounds good. You're like, that's good. When I say God will never leave you or forsake you, if you're a Christian, if you even believe in God, you're like, that sounds, that sounds good, right? That definitely doesn't sound bad. But it's one of those things that so often to us is just an intellectual thought. We, we know that's a good thing. But in, inside of our, our hearts, deep within our hearts, it's, it's not like our hearts are like, oh, praise God, you know? We're not like, oh, good, what a relief, what security. The emotion behind that is often not there, is it? I, I think this is what's happening when I say that. Okay. And I think the problem here is that most of us, a lot of us, have disordered loves in life. There are things that we've placed in our hearts as a highest good that are things that are other than God himself. And so when I say that to you, you go, that's good, I, I value God, but it's not your highest good. So the place your heart is resting is in, oftentimes, it's, it's somewhere else. Let me put it to you this way, okay? I'm gonna use, we've talked about this, Andy, so I'm gonna use you as an example, okay? I don't wanna creep you out here, okay? But we're gonna talk about you, okay? 
Let's just say that Andy's house burned down, okay? Don't worry, everybody got out, everybody's fine, everybody's safe, just, just material possessions, the house burned down, okay? I want you to imagine first that you actually own a house, right? Some of you, that sounds amazing. You would love to own a house. Let's just imagine you own a house, you're trying to emotionally connect to what Andy's going through a little bit here, right? Let's say Andy's house burned down, I go over to the house, I'm standing with Andy in his backyard, okay? We're looking at his house, there's nothing left. And we're standing there and I look over and Andy has a sweet hammock on his deck, okay? And let's just say we're staying there, I'm like, Andy, dude, who cares? Your hammock is fine. You still have your hammock, right? I'm sure you like that hammock. So you're probably gonna say something like, yeah, you're right, like, that, that's good, that's good, right? Intellectually, that's good. I like that hammock, it's still there, it's untouched, I can still take naps in my hammock. But you would look at me like I'm crazy. If I were to say to you, hey, don't worry about it, you got your hammock, right? It's just a house. You'd say, you're crazy, man. It, my house burned down. Dude, my house burned down. Who cares about a hammock? But that, that is a positive thought that your hammock is still fine, but really, it's not that big of a deal to you. You lost your house. The, the hammock is nice, but you lost a house. You see, most of us, if we were being honest, God is, is not the house to us. He, he's like the hammock. He, he's a nice feature of our lives. In most days, we really like him. He provides really good naps, things like that, but, it, but it's, it's something else, really. It's something like money or possessions or it's job security or it's our kids or it's another person like a parent or a best friend or a husband or a wife or it's something, right? Something else is more significant to you. There's something else that you cherish far, in a far greater way. Something else is the house. And so therefore the thought of God saying to you that he will never leave you, that he will never abandon you is definitely nice. I mean, we're not complaining, right? But let's be real. We have disordered loves. We treasure something infinitely more to be our comfort, to be our confidence, to be our security. Promises, guys, promises are great. Promises are really nice. But promises are only as weighty and they're only as valuable to us if what we are being promised is something that we deeply love and we deeply care about. And this promise of God, this promise of him promising himself is a promise that our passage says shapes our future. It determines your confidence. It determines your fearlessness in life. Look at verse six. We see this confident future. It says, be content with what you have because God says, I will never leave you or abandon you. Why? So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? No fear. Fearlessness. And there's three reasons for this confidence he says that he has, because why? The Lord is his helper, and because the helper is at his side, we need to have no fear. And then this rhetorical question is presented that underlies man's insignificance. The question is, what can man do to me? 
Man will not succeed at anything that he attempts to do against one who trusts in God and receives this promise. Let me, let me be really clear. This isn't saying that if you just receive this promise, then just anything that you don't want to happen in your life, that man can't do anything to you. This isn't talking about possessions. You might lose your possessions, okay? It's not even talking about your health. You could lose your health. It's not even talking about your life. You could lose your life. But this is talking about what really matters in the grand scheme of life. Your salvation, your security, your approval, the love of God for you, your soul, your treasure, your identity, nothing can shake that. But here is the thing. If the Lord is not your helper, you most definitely have something or someone else that is. If the Lord is not your helper, you most definitely have something or someone else that is. So I know it's, it's only summer and some of you are on summer break. You don't want to take any sort of quizzes right now. Some of you have been in school in forever and you're so glad that it has been forever. And some of you are in classes now, excited for your break right before fall term happens. But if you would, I would like to give you a little bit of a pop quiz tonight, okay? It's simple. It's just a fill in the blank. That's it. Fill in the blank. And you don't even have to study for this quiz. You just have to be honest, so I'm not looking for an answer that's the right answer where you're like, I know that's what I'm supposed to put in there. I'm looking for the answer in this fill in the blank that is the real answer for you, okay? That's the only way you can pass this test. And this is the test. I didn't write it here. I don't have a whiteboard or something. I just want you to imagine, sorry, Stephen, I know I should have done that on your last day, but this is the quiz. Blank, fill in the blank, is my helper. Fill in the blank is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, there are things that we fill into that blank. And I propose to you that that blank is always filled with something or someone. Even if that's filled, even if that blank is filled with your own name. There are things that we look to to make us feel confident and secure in life. Maybe it is your own name, right? Josh is my helper. I will not fear. I'm sufficient. I'm talented. I'm skilled. I'm wise enough. In and of myself, I can handle life. I don't need a helper. I am my own helper. Money is my helper. As long as I have it, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I'll just buy another one. My parents are my helper. My wife is my helper. My husband is my helper. My friends are my helper. My kids are my helper. My job security is my helper. My status and title is my helper. My possessions are my helper. Or maybe it's just some ability that you've made your identity. My intelligence is my helper. My ability to cook is my helper or just create things. So something is in that blank tonight. Something is in the blank. And I don't know what it is for you. But only as long as that thing is in the blank can you finish the statement, I will not fear. Everything will be okay as long as that thing is in the blank. What can man do to me? Meaning as long as this thing is present, as long as it is secured in my life, then do your worst to me. 
do whatever. It may be hard, whatever's gonna be coming my way, but I think I can survive if that thing stays in the blank. But see, money can make you confident for a while. It is a, it is a helper for a while. It can make you fearless, right? $100,000 for a while. But what if you lose it? What if you lose it? Or better yet, more truthfully, we should say, what do you do when you lose it? Because money is temporary. It's not eternal, right? A person can be in that blank as well. They can be a really good helper. They can make you fearless for a time. Right? But what if they leave you? Well, what if they pass away? What if you lose them? I was thinking about this and I was realizing there are probably like a thousand songs I could read lyrics to you about where people are singing like, hey, as long as you're with me, everything's going to be okay, right? Just tons of songs. And I, 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 I thought I'd read part of you, uh, to you part of this song, uh, a song called Safe and Sound, just because my kids really like it. And after reading it, I'm like, I don't know if they should be listening to this, but whatever, okay. It's a guy writing about a girl, to my knowledge. He says, I could lift you up. I could show you what you want to see and take you where you want to be. You could be my luck. Even if the sky is falling down, I know that we'll be safe and sound. I could fill your cup. You know my river won't evaporate. This world we still appreciate. You could be my luck. Even in a hurricane of frowns, I know that we'll be safe and sound. I could show you love. In a tidal wave of mystery, you'll still be standing next to me. You could be my luck. Even if we're six feet underground, I know that we'll be safe and sound. This guy is, is blind enough to believe that even in the grave, he believes that this person, as long as they're there with him, come what may, he's fearless, everything's okay. This person is his security blanket. And we all know when you get to that moment in your life and you part ways, it won't feel that way. The presence of money will only make you feel secure and confident for a time. The presence of a person will only do the same. Nothing is powerful enough. Nothing is lasting enough. Nothing is eternal enough, able to provide you with true lasting security and confidence. It is only the presence of God that is promised to us for all eternity. It is only the presence of God that is promised to us for all eternity that can provide that kind of security to you. And this kind of security is offered to you only because of a very dark and scandalous day when Jesus, the eternal Son of God, hung on a cross. And at noonday, the sky went dark. And he cried out from that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had forsaken Jesus so that you would never be forsaken. The Lord was no longer his helper in that moment so that God could forever be your helper. Jesus experienced fear so that you could become fearless. 
God had allowed Jesus to experience the worst at the hands of men so that you would never need to fear what man could do to you. See, you have a more lasting and true helper in God because of what Jesus did on your behalf. That's why Paul in Romans 8 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I I would bet that if, if you knew me well and you knew how much I love my kids, okay, uh, I would bet that if, if I asked you, what kind of level of anxiety or worry do you have that I'm ever going to abandon my kids? I would bet that you would probably say, I don't really, you lose sleep over that. I doubt your anxiety level is very high that I'm going to abandon my own kids. But think about it, I'm, I'm a human being, and in and of, myse- in and of myself, I, I'm, I'm capable of something as terrible as that. People do that kind of stuff. If I were to take that even further and ask you tonight, what level of anxiety or worry do you have that God the Father is going to abandon the Son again, this side of the, cro- the cross? Does that keep you up at night? Do you worry that God the Father is going to stop loving God the Son? I, I would bet, I'm betting a lot tonight, but I would bet that you would say, I, I don't worry about that at all. Of course, he's going to always love Jesus, right? I would bet that. And so one of the most important things that Scripture teaches us that is true of us when we become Christians is that you are united to Jesus. Theologians call it union with Christ. That you don't stand before God on your own two feet, that you aren't accepted based upon how good or bad you were in life, but instead that you turn to Jesus, that when you turn to Jesus and ask him to save you and become a follower of Christ, you are now united to him and you stand before God on the shoulders of Jesus. You are accepted based upon his record of how perfect and loved that he is by God. And so that lack of worry that you have that the Father would stop loving the Son, if you are united to Jesus, that's why you would never need to worry that God would abandon you because he would never abandon Jesus. That worry meter drops to zero. And guys, if you're a Christian, that is your new reality. God is your security. God is your comfort. He makes you content. He makes you fearless. He makes you confident, not in and of yourself, but in the new reality that you get to live into, that he is always with you. And when your loves in life are ordered correctly, and he is your highest good, when he is your greatest love, when God is your ultimate treasure, then that promise of his presence is kind of like being handed a glass of ice-cold water on one of those days we had last week. Mark, Mark Twain once rightfully said that the coldest winter he ever experienced was a summer in San Francisco. I, I think this is true. Uh, when, when, we, when me and my wife lived there, there was fog just all the time. Summer was not really summer. It kind of felt like spring, maybe? I don't know. Not much. But, but even in the summers, right, there was just fog all the time. And we lived about five minutes uh, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. 
And, and every single morning, even in the summer, you'd wake up, it'd be fog. There'd be fog. And fog is interesting because fog kind of makes you disoriented. It kind of causes you to be unable to see what, what, what's really around you, to really perceive what's surrounding you. But inevitably, by midday or maybe some point in the afternoon, the sun would hang in the sky long enough that the sun's light and the sun's heat would, would burn off the fog so you could see Mount Tamalpais just to the west. So you could see the beautiful bay so you can see the, the epic San Francisco skyline. What I'm saying to you is tonight, your loves might be extremely disordered. And God in his grace has revealed to you that you look to something else as your helper for confidence, for your security, to be fearless. And when your love is disordered and you have those things in their improper place, that fog begins to set in. And you might get really used to the fog just like everybody who lives in San Francisco does. But tonight, this promise is coming to you. The presence of God and his promise of his presence is coming to you. And he is like the sun that is hanging in the sky wanting to burn away that fog for you tonight. This, this promise from God is like the sun that comes and burns away the fog. It's because the promise is God bringing himself to you. This isn't God promising you some other gift from his hand. He's promising you himself. He is, he's the sun. He is the light. And his presence burns away the fog. It, it's burned away by the light of his presence. See, it's then and only then that we will be fearless, where you will be secure, where you'll be confident. And no matter what comes our way, whether it's sickness or evil, or abandonment, or loneliness, or financial loss, or just some future that you weren't really hoping for. No matter what it is, we can experience confidence and fearlessness and security because God is there, and, and He always will be, and He is our light. Father, tonight, I, I do want to ask you that this promise might move uh, from our head into our heart, and that we would really see you working in us, that you would be our highest good, our greatest treasure, so that this promise would just be, would really be food for our soul, God. Would you center us upon you as the most significant thing in our life? You are our helper, God. I pray that we would experience that truth in our lives tonight and really this week, that we might live differently as, as we walk about this, this city. I ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen.